0: Jack always told me that all he wanted to do was get on that leaderboard and let other people make mistakes. And Tiger did the same thing yesterday. It wasn't that he played necessarily the best golf, but he made less mistakes than everybody else. And he really played what I thought was a, was a Nicholas-like round. In
1: 1744, the first golf club with a definite proof of origin was the Company of Gentlemen Golfers who played of Leith, now called the Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers who play at Muirfield. It was that year when several gentlemen of honour, skillful in the ancient and healthful exercise of the golf, petitioned the Edinburgh City Council to donate a silver club for their annual competition on the Leaf Links. The winner of the competition was declared captain of the golf for the year, and a silver ball with the date and the captain's name inscribed upon it was attached to the silver club. Thank you for listening to the Silver Club podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan.
2: Well, Colin, it is great to be back with you for another episode of the Silver Club podcast. Uh, we haven't spoken since the Masters and and Tiger Woods' dominance of Augusta National. What what a I, I'm still I'm still mesmerized by the whole scene at Augusta. I, I wish I wish there was just even another event there uh, that we could have watched last
1: week. Amazing the uh, the coach and me love that he he didn't take the bait on 12. You know, uh, I was sort of shocked. I was shocked that, uh, that three people found, found the hazard on 12 to the right. That just to me is like, we're, you grow up watching the masters and that's like the most rookie of errors. And, uh, and what's interesting is I, I was, I was, it was interesting that he won without any sort of major pyrotechnics, other than the, the shot under 16. It really was a straightforward, careful, methodical round. It wasn't Tiger Woodsian. It what was, was your takeaway? It was just, it was, uh, it, it was very,
2: very uh, calculated. And I mean, certainly divine intervention when you're, when your opponents get in there and they all dump it in the water, everybody who's in contention and I mean certainly as a competitor it, it kind of like inside he had to be when he was standing on that 11th green and watching the group ahead of him dump the ball in the water on 12 he had to you know just be smiling inside like yeah things are uh, things are going my way and you you always need those breaks if you're going to win I mean it's just yeah, no doubt it-
1: he certainly uh, had a fortuitous break on 11 i guess the the key is there if you're going to miss it right miss it far enough right that you get on the other side of those new trees and you that was a uh, that certainly was a lucky break but other than that he he played the par 5 he was he was disciplined and he was in control of his ball down the stretch when he needed it most off the tee there was no doubt and he hit the shot of a champion in there on
2: 16 using the slope so artfully and bringing it down the hill i i, I was I, I that ball should have gone in the hole. Like I, I was just picturing it going in the hole and this was Tiger Woods's like his his just stamp of man, this is uh I am uh I'm officially back, but he he did it two holes later on eighteen and, and and captured the title. That was uh it was pretty spectacular,
1: wasn't it? Yeah, you know the what's interesting is they he's now in the record books for being among the oldest to win things, which is crazy. He was always among the youngest. And you know, he's a, he's 43. I'm 40. We're both. He and I are both 43. That, that doesn't feel very old. You know, Nicholas be the only be, thing you guys have in common. Know. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> and, you know, when Nicholas won in 86, he was 46 and he was an old man. You see him. He's got he had a dad bod, a, a belly. He looked old. Tiger's 43 and he looks 25. I mean, his Tiger, body, his, though, is not. I mean, like Nicholas's body was
2: probably in, in way better shape than Tiger's body is in uh is in
1: right now sure but i i am looking forward to the uh to the ceiling being broken by phil or it almost was done by freddie and vj and tom watson someone is going to win a major in their 50s and that'll be that'll also be fascinating well i think phil phil has got an amazing record at uh,
2: pebble beach so the US Open is there this year and we could we could see a uh, you know one one last run here with Phil and Tiger going head to head and Beth Page Black for the PGA Championship and uh, it looks like we're going to actually the next time we're going to see Tiger is at the uh, Wells Fargo Championship at Quail Hollow here in a few weeks uh, in my nice. home my home state of North Carolina so that's uh, it's going to be pretty exciting
1: well, let's talk about your schedule coming up and what you've been pretty busy. But this is so exciting! I'm so I am so thrilled for you. What you've got in store in the next fortnight? Tell tell our listeners about it. Well, yeah, a lot of people ask me over time. You know, they they
2: they knew me as a player half a lifetime ago, and uh, yeah, I'm almost forty two now, and playing in the Carolinas PGA section. Uh, had a real nice year last year. Won the section championship. Uh, at Harbortown, where they just had the PGA Tour event this last week, and then uh, end up winning the Player of the Year. So, uh, with all the, the PGA Tour events in the Carolinas, I'm going to play in two PGA Tour events this year. One of them being the Wells Fargo Championship uh, in in a couple weeks. So, uh, super exciting for me. Uh, I think the weather's going to be good. Hopefully, the fairways are firm and fast, and I can <laughs> I carry my ball about 270 or 275, and I need a lot of run. So, if I'm going to if I'm going to compete at all with those guys. And then, uh, you know, immediately before that, I'm actually in the, national, the PGA National Club Professional Championship as well uh, at Belfair in near Hilton Head, South Carolina. So I'm out there competing. I love to compete, it's in my blood. Um, so I'm uh, totally looking forward to these next few weeks. And I uh, had to throw this podcast out real quick before all
1: the uh, tournament golf starts to happen. Well, t- I have a couple questions for you. The first one is how many times have you played in the club, the National Club Pro Championship this prior is my, to this? This is my third time. Third time
2: I've missed out on qualifying for the PGA Championship uh, by about three strokes both times. I I played in 2015 at the Philadelphia Cricket Club, and I played in 2017 at Sun River, Oregon. So uh, third time this year. Uh, hopefully three's the charm uh, and, and top 20 make it into the PGA Championship at Bethpage. In uh, Which just would a make few weeks' for, time
1: right. Then it only make your the month of May even busier. And now, t- tell me this: I was, you know, I I loved when you played at Harbor Town a year ago uh, by virtue of this uh, qualifying through the section. And you, it, you said, I remember you telling me it was a it was a first chance that your your children saw you play in a tour event, and right, and. Right. And, and you got going sort of on the second day. And and by the way, that was the only, your two rounds were the only two rounds I followed on the PGA tour website where I followed live shot by shot, waiting, refreshing it. I never do that. I did it for you. And I, and I, I relished sort of, I was enjoy. I, I had so much vicarious joy for, uh, for you, but this time around it's, it, you've, you've, you got the first one out of the way, the ceremonial return to the tour. Are you, how are you treating Wachovia differently than, than, than Harbor Town?
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the uh, well, they, they got another bank to sponsor. It's Wells Fargo now, but uh, oh, right. Sorry. None, nonetheless, uh, all good, but uh, no, I, I'm feeling pretty good. I've had a nice year last year, like I mentioned, and my game feels confident. Um, and the PGA tour is a different arena. Uh, it's, it's, it's just, there's a, it's a bigger circus out there. And, to uh, just kind of put your blinders on and, and go about your business. It's not always the easiest thing to do, but uh, like I said, hopefully it's firm and fast and I'm hitting my irons well and uh, driving it long. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, I, I think I've got, a, I've got a good chance. My game is my game is pretty sharp, but, uh, you know, getting into a PGA Tour event is a, a little different animal. So hopefully uh, hopefully I'll use some of that uh, knowledge and experience that I, I
1: gained uh, last year at the RBC to my advantage. What was it? Um, what in the in the in the gap between having played in the majors in your sort of late amateur career and 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 last year? What what struck you as a difference between just the sort of setup of the tour, the the presentation, the production, the this, this the pomp around it?
2: Well, I mean, I think, Harbour Town's kind of the the RBC kind of one of the more low key events on tour, but. You know, they don't have much rough there. And overall, I think the rough on tour is lower than what it was 20 years ago because they want their big bombers hitting drivers, and they don't want Dustin Johnson or Bubba Watson hitting three iron off a tee to lay up. And uh, so so I think that's different. I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's the hole's the same size. Uh, you know, you're still a little nervous when you play out there. You're amped up. So uh, that's fun. And just controlling the, the adrenaline, really, I think is, is the – is the biggest challenge because there's a lot of it because you're, you're playing against guys who you watch on TV every, every week. And it's, uh, it's certainly a fun atmosphere. And, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, ho- hopefully the the good game that I've had this last year towards the end of last year, will uh, will carry over who are you can have on the bag. Uh, I've got, uh, my caddy who was caddy for me at Harbor town last year. Uh, and, uh, his name is Guy Malul and he is, uh, he's going to loop for me at the National Club Pro. And then the day after the National Club Pro ends, <laughs> we start round one at uh, Quail Hollow. So, uh, it's kind of a, 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 a semi-difficult, uh, scenario, just kind of running back-to-back tournaments with no break. And so that'll be interesting, but, uh, you know, hopefully I'll, I'll be, uh, tournament ready and, you know, I'll just jump right into it.
1: Sure, it's an opportunity to to ride the hot hand.
2: Yeah, t- talking about tournaments just a little bit. Just let's kind of quickly recap uh, your going on goings on at, at at Yale and your team and and I know you had a disappointing uh, finish to the Ivy League Championships recently, but you, you had a couple victories. You did have a uh, an individual champion uh, for in for the Ivy League. Uh, just just kind of talk about. What's going on with you and your life? You've been this is like the busiest time of your life uh, of your year, really, right now, isn't it?
1: Well, the same weekend that Tiger uh, won the Masters in a slightly uh, more low key tournament, uh, the Yale then won the sp- our, We won our spring invitational. Our, we, I remember, uh, if you'll remember, I mentioned the boys. We got a pin in the swale on nine. Yes, yes. What happened there? Any, any, anything crazy? uh there were no the over under on holes in one was 0.5 and there were no hole in ones but there was a number of kick ins but there was a lot of pressure to get it in the swale which was kind of interesting what kind of club was were the guys hitting into that it was still like a four and five iron that day it was it was a rough day we we had a rain delay and we had a we had a we had to get in a 36 hole one day with a rain delay playing uh play six count five so the staff did a wonderful job. We got off to uh, a slow start. We were eleven over, uh, eleven behind after the morning, and the, the boys came roaring back, and we won that event for the second time in three years. And we basically took a uh, a twenty two uh, straight. Um, we took it took an undefeated season to Ivy's. We we uh, by winning Princeton, winning Yale, we just the pressure mounted. The expectations were there. We really we had a really a 52 stri- straight winning streak against the conference going in and uh, at Hidden Creek where you're from, You're very familiar. Lovely core and Crenshaw course. And yeah, yeah. One the of our
2: uh, silver club majors is there this year, actually. Yeah, in early they, June. They,
1: they couldn't. Honestly, they could not have hosted a better tournament it was one of the best one of the one of the one of the best venues and w- one of the best sort of uh, well run. Uh, uh, uh Ivies in my 11 years and the kids play tough. We had one player, Owen, a senior who his who is more than any player on the team personifies the characteristics of a bulldog. He had, he was having muscle spasms in his back and he had a withdrawal in round two. And so we had to play four players, you know, counting, counting every score and we came charging back actually just i was so proud of the kids wow um could you have substituted any
2: could you have substituted anybody in there
1: in a year from now we'll be able to do something like that and Mm -hmm. we couldn't you couldn't do it you won't be able to ever do it mid-round but if owen knew he wasn't wasn't 100 he i could have swapped the player out we can do it at regionals okay i thought
2: thought the i thought the Bo hostler rule or something where he was injured and uh I thought you were allowed to do that. No,
1: that's it. It's being, it's already implemented at both regionals and nationals. Okay. But not, now not in conference. Got not it. yet. And we've already got, it's, it's on the, uh, it's being voted on and it'll, it'll probably be ready for 2020. And we would have used it and uh, it's not an excuse, but Sunday we it came down on Easter. We, it was a battle with Princeton and Columbia and uh, the kids played their hearts out. And in the end uh, we lost by our our winning streak came to an end at, at uh, 50, 57 wins. Lost by and two lost, shots, uh, huh? By two shots to Princeton, and uh, one shot to Columbia, and so we finished the year twenty seven and two, and seven hundred and twenty six strokes up on the on our on the conference. But uh, only only one tournament really matters. But you know, I'm the boy. I'm I'm proud of the guys. I'm no le- I'm no no less proud of them. Uh, after that event, you know, they, they put it all on the line. That's how, you know, how it works. You don't, in golf, it doesn't always, you don't always get the outcome that you hope. No, no, you don't, you don't. But I I will be, I will be going to regionals with James and potentially Teddy and, and both those kids played to the top. They were the one and two in the conference this year. and, And they each have the ability to do something, which would be which is would be sort of unthinkable from the ivy league and that's to advance from a regional be the be the low indie on the team not advancing right and they've got both of them have the game to do it and so uh the season is entirely over but i'm i'm just i'm sad that uh it is it is sad that um am that team will never uh compete again because i love those kids this was a year this is one of my favorite my favorite years coaching yeah
2: it had to be gotta be bittersweet, isn't it? Isn't it, uh... Yeah, uh, now uh, switching gears just a little bit. You know, just still staying on the on the competitive zone. Uh, we've uh, and we're going to have Steve Melnick on our podcast here in a moment. But you know, you you have a, a bit of a Steve Melnick story. Now he was uh, U.S. amateur and British amateur champ, two time Walker Cupper uh, back in the '60s, early '70s. Talk about you! You did some interviews with. Uh, uh, all the u s amateur champions in the past the books the the three part books that you wrote uh, talk about that a little bit and and Steve Melnick, the great you know he was a great CBS
1: broadcaster as well I knew him by his voice honestly Steve was a total gentleman i when I had a in order to track down forty seven past champions you had to deal with occasionally with some agents and some and some sort of uh, interference and some were easier to access than others and and, you know, someone like Hank Keeney just couldn't, couldn't have carried less. And it was like, it was, you know, it was, it was like, it was worthless. But Steve Melnick, on the other hand, was a gentleman. I I, I saw him at the U.S. Amateur in 04 at um, Wingfoot, introduced myself, told him about the project. He said, I'll make time for you whenever you wish. And he had a couple awesome lines. You know, he said, I, he began... We begin with like, how'd you grow up? You know, how'd you get into golf? And he goes, I, I grew up playing the Brunswick Country Club, a country club in name only. <laughs> um, and he told, a, he told a fabulous story about his amateur career and playing in Florida. And and the, my, my takeaway from the one thing I, I'll always remember is he plays in the, um, the Walker Cup in 1969, the week before the U.S. Amateur. It's at Milwaukee Country Club. And he, he plays well and helps the, helps the American team win. And, and as the event's over, a USGA official, Someone on this, someone higher up tells him, "Tells him, Steve, you've got the game to win at Oakmont next week." And Steve hadn't, he, it hadn't occurred to him. He hadn't, he hadn't thought about going there as some, as a, as winning as a as a possibility. And, and of course, he goes to Oakmont and wins by five in the stroke play era. And you know, lead. and I and I, what I love about that tale, what every golfer can love, is that sometimes, especially the coach and me, you know. Every golfer is just a little bit of encouragement away from the next level. Just being told that they're good. Just it wasn't a lesson or an instruction. Just being sort of thinking, thinking, giving a higher set of stand, uh, higher sort of uh, expectations than you might give yourself. And and uh, so I I love that he then won at Oakmont and probably might have been the, the hardest USA Amateur venue in the stroke play era. One of the one of the all-time hardest championship venues and. That uh, I, I was uh, I, uh, I, I. admire Steve Melnick. I and I and I, I. I'm judging him entirely on my brief interaction with him. But if that's a if that's a, a sort of um, you know an indicator, he, he's. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm thrilled you had him at, at the at the event and you have him on an interview. He's, it's terrific. Well done.
2: Total total gentleman. Now, now before we get to him, I uh, just wanted to mention. We we just had our uh, very first major on the Silver Club Golfing Society uh, docket. It was the Palmer 4-ball at the Bay Hill Club and Lodge. Uh, we had our overall winners and the winners of the Jones division were the team of Lawrence Largent and Wayne Tolsky. Uh, they fired four under par for the event, uh, 67 on day one, really sharp. Uh, the winners of our Evans division uh, was Cameron Murray, And Chris Hunt, uh, helped by seven birdies in round two. Uh, they had made a little comeback there and, uh, they defeated the team of Derby David and Jordan Jellison, uh, by a few shots. But, uh, we, we had a ton of fun. I I wish you were there, Colin. I wish you would have been able to see it. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a cool four ball event and,
1: and, uh, it was really cool. Have you played much four ball out there? Well, listen, I was watching it on, you know, you're a social media uh, wizard now, Steve, and the, the, gra- <laughs> the, 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 the rye grass, the ryegrass looked green. The, the, you looked like you guys had beautiful weather. I was up, we were up freezing and playing in sort of barely, uh, barely <laughs> playable conditions in new England during that weekend. I would have done, I would have loved to have been
2: down there. Yeah. Orlando was spectacular and, and the Bay Hill club and lodge was fantastic. And, a uh, great PGA Tour venue. I mean, Tiger's won there eight times, and uh, everybody knows all the shots that he hit there. And, uh, you know, just to quickly plug the, the Silver Club Golfing Society, you know, we certainly couldn't have this podcast without their help. And uh, check us out on social media at Silver Club Golf on Instagram and Twitter, as well as Silver Club uh, Golfing Society on the web Uh Just a a lot of fun. We've got our next event, May 17th. Uh, We've got a one-day event at the Merido Club just outside of Dallas. And our our next major uh, is at Hidden Creek Golf Club, where you were just at, June 3rd to the 5th. So still time to get involved with the society, uh, come out and play, uh, and and just just be a part of this competitive amateur society. Index is 7.9 and below uh, we want people who just who love to compete and and love to do it and uh you know just like you and your team colin get out there and
1: uh and hit it right absolutely i'm i'm uh i'm just now that the season's over you know you it, know i'm ready to i'm ready to work on my game steve i'm inspired i'm getting ready to uh i'm getting ready to uh dust off the clubs and by the way i want to um, in the last week my my 10-year-old daughter Lucy is getting into the game. I played it cool for as long as I it took. She wasn't doing it and now I'm on straight bribery. She's getting slime, I, you know, she, if she starts she plays 9 holes with me it's, at some point she's going to get a golden doodle. I mean, I have no I have no problem just to pay for play. I just that's what it, that's what it's come to. Well, I think I think you're not
2: alone in that uh, in that realm and uh, lots of lots of parents are, are out there giving a little uh, ice cream or golden doodles or whatever you got to do to uh, get them out to the course and and really share all the great uh, virtues that this game has and uh all right well uh, we'll we'll look forward to catching up again next week
1: good luck good luck in the tournaments uh steve i i can't wait to be pulling for you man
2: thanks colin thanks colin all right steve melnick is coming up right now steve just tremendous thanks for for being here my pleasure and uh what what, what do you think about what we just saw yesterday well before i get into
0: that let me <laughs> say to you congratulations this is a pretty cool club you put together here uh, when I went to your uh, website, the first thing that drew my eye to it was a Delft tile, which uh, I recognize from the early days of golf. Uh, I'm a member of the Lynx Club in, uh, in New York, and that's very prominent among uh, our logos there as well. So, uh, very classy, and it's pretty, it's a great uh, club that you guys have put together here. And I guess, given the courses, I hear you're going to play. Uh, Where do you stand up? Where do you
2: join, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we we may know somebody who can make you an honorary member of the Silver Club. but
0: uh. Well, last week, I have always said that Augusta National has as big an influence on the game of golf as perhaps any organization, and they outdid themselves in the last 12 days. I got up there last Sunday. Uh, Fred Ridley is an old friend of mine. I've known Fred since he was in high school. And I was in his office in Tampa about two years ago, and he said, "I'm really thinking about having women play in some venue at the club." And I thought, "My gosh, that's unbelievable!" Well, what they did and what they pulled off and the way they did it was fantastic. The, you mentioned the winner, uh, Jennifer Cupcho. She, you know, she played the hit the opening tee shot the first day. They hold the 20-footer on the last hole, of the last hole. She played the last six holes, five under par to win by four. You couldn't have had a better finish. It was the greatest impact, I think, on women's golf that I can remember. They drew the highest amateur televised ratings of any event in the last 16 years. And what was cool about it, there were 70 players who started. The low 30 played on Saturday. But all of the players that started, even if they missed the cut, got to play a practice round at Augusta National on uh, on Friday. I saw some of the video. Maybe some of you saw it. these girls getting off the bus for the first time as so they made their way to Augusta. Just the looks alone made it made it worthwhile. And then to follow it up with that finish yesterday, I mean, how good does it get? Uh, you can make an argument that uh, at, there was something for everybody on Saturday and Sunday, particularly that last nine holes. Um I my experience with Tiger goes back to 1992. Uh, we covered the U.S. Uh, amateur at uh, Muirfield. Tiger won the Boys Junior the year before, so he got in the tournament, and he was all arms and legs and spindly and hitting a mile, and you knew, you just knew, you know, he was different. And of course, he won three Boys Juniors. He won three uh, men's amateurs. You probably remember the third one. Okay,
2: <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember where the first one was though? Uh, I covered it. It was a Sawgrass. No, no, the U.S. Junior. Oh, the Boys Junior. No. Bay Hill Club, 1991. I did not know. Tiger that, Woods won you. his very first U.S.G.A. Championship. Well, how appropriate! Right yeah. here on this golf course. Yeah, so,
0: I mean, he won six U.S.G.A. Championships before he turns pro. That's pretty good. <laughs> but uh, how do I say this nicely? There's been like three Tiger Woods, if you will. When he came out, he was cocky. He was unbearable. Uh, I think his father had a lot to do with it. I mean, forgive me for saying this, but he was a okay? He, when, he, when he was coming out on tour, he was really hard to deal with from a broadcast perspective. We'd always want to try to interview him, try to help the event, try to make him look good. Never wanted to work with the guys. Uh, he treated a lot of his players the same way. We don't need to regurgitate all of the things that you know happened to him personally. In fact, one of them, there's a, there's a fire hydrant with a plaque on it about three miles from here that <laughs> – Changed his life forever. <laughs> and, you know, he goes from two years ago when he can't get out of bed or can't get out of a chair to play golf to, to what he did yesterday. It's it's nothing short of amazing. And uh, the ratings were terrific, as you might imagine, and it was really good for golf. A lot, so many of the kids that play golf today, they look up to him. They don't know about his past. They haven't had to deal with him personally, and it's just it's great for the game. I mean, Steve talked about it. The, the, the Masters is so special for me. I did play in six, I broadcast 10, I come back 15 times now as an honorary invitee, and it never gets old. My first uh, U.S. amateur was in 1970, and to this day, my, my most treasured memento, if that's the right word, was a letter I got from Bob Jones after I won the amateur. It was a fellow Georgian to a fellow Georgian. He said he hoped to welcome me to augusta the next year health permitting well and sadly he did not but he said if he couldn't he wanted mr roberts to look after me well did he ever put me in the room right next to him <laughs> i was afraid to say a word that whole time well they paired me with nicholas the first round steve i'm sure had an equally great pairing i'd never met nicholas i met him on the first team uh we had a great time together it was a tough day to play i, sh- I shot 73 he shot 71 they brought us in the press room and after the obligatory comments and questions about the round, the, the, one of these writers said, "Well, Jack, how, how did you and Steve get paired together?" He looked at me and he looked at the report. And he says, "By weight." <laughs> 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 the next year, I come back, <clears throat> and Nicholas and I had become good friends. When you win the U.S. Amateur, you get invitations to the Open, uh, U.S. Open, British Open, and Jack kind of took me under his wing. Well, he called me the week before the Masters. And he said, I've got a money game for us. So we played four rounds together. He was my partner, we played Gabe Brewer and, and Dave Hill. And the last night there, we we're staying at the club. And I c- come back to my room, there's a rotary dial phone, there's a red light on. I call down to the front desk, and they passed me through to Mr. Roberts' office. And Miss Murphy, uh, Cliff's longtime secretary, said, Mr. Roberts, would like you to join Mrs. Eisenhower, who was staying in the cabin, Mr. Nicholas, and Mr. Roberts for dinner tonight in the trophy room. And being the idiot that I was, I said, gosh, Miss Murphy, I'm really sorry. I've got plans and I can't make it. <laughs> there was this long silence. She hung up. <laughs> Fifteen seconds later, the phone rings. It's Cliff. He says, I'll see you for dinner at 7. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so wait, we go to dinner. And unbeknownst to me, Mamie had gotten into the sherry early that afternoon. <laughs> and when she got to, to dinner, I mean, she was about... But out of it. So she got through the salad course perfectly, and they put down the the dinner plate for her entree, and you could see her kind of doing this. And with this, Cliff reached over, pulled the plate, bam! Made me passed out. (laughs) Absolutely passed out in the trophy room. I look at Jackie, looks at me, we don't know what to do. Cliff said... Mamie's had a very long day. <laughs> why, why don't we eat quickly so she can go home and go to sleep? <laughs> we ate our dinner in about six minutes. We're out of there. And they are poured Mamie in a wheelchair to get her back to her room. <laughs> but uh, I, what was neat about when I moved over to CBS, um, I did a lot of writing uh, when I was an amateur. did some writing with Golf Digest. And they gave me the assignment to write for the Traveler's Television Viewer's Guide. Now, back then, Travelers was one of the main hosts, if you remember. And nobody had the—there was no internet back then, so we we put out this thing. And and for eight years, I got to pick whatever topic I wanted to write about. But the cool thing was, I got to go to the club and really had sort of the keys to the kingdom, I call it. I got to look through all the archives. I saw all the carbon copy letters— of roberts to jones and jones to roberts and i I learned so much and i'll share a few things with you tonight some of which you probably know now but a lot of you don't but um as you all know the club uh was finished in the fall of 1933 and uh, jones and roberts said we want to have a tournament here the next year and they said when should we have it well Grantley rice was one of the great sports writers of the day and good friend of jones and robertson member of the club and Jones wanted to have it in the fall because he played in the Southeastern Open when he was at Augusta Country Club. And and Rice said, no, you, that will never work. He said, if you want the, the nation's press to be here, you've got to hold the event between the time spring training broke in Florida and Major League Baseball began. Because back then there were only 16 teams. They all they all went to spring training in Florida. So it was Granlin Rice who picked the date uh and it says you know the best date in golf but ironically the first uh tournament was the dates were march 23rd to the 26th 1934 it was in a seasonally cold spring as you might remember the original front nine was what you know today is 10 11 12 so and so well that spring it was really cold and there was not one but two major frost delays because if you think about it, those greens, 10, 11, 12, and 13, were then one, two, three, four, they're all in morning shade. Roberts was pissed. He had to delay the event, screwed everything up. He arbitrarily, like within an hour after the uh, final round, that first term, he said, we're flipping the nine holes. Well, it's the greatest thing in the world. Think about it. How'd you like to finish on eight and nine? It's kind of boring. Now you finish on the great backside, but it was frost that caused the, the, the flipping of the nines there at uh, at the tournament. Now, in 1956 was the first year that they telecast the Masters on TV. CBS did it. You ready for this? They only broadcast the final round. They didn't think their salespeople could sell Saturday and Sunday. So they only broadcast the final four holes on Sunday. It gets better. They get the cameras up scalping up broadcast towers up and two days before the tournament they realized well how are we going to do this scoring thing how are we going to get word to our announcers how these these people are playing well it was a caddy master named freddie bennett who said most people know freddie he said i tell you what boss i got the answer here he says we're gonna have a caddy relay we'll get the six fastest caddies and they'll hand deliver the scores and that's exactly what they did so in 1956 there was a member who stood behind the 14th green a little piece of paper and sneed and mangram and, and millikoff would come through write the scores down caddy one or run down the 15th fairway handed to caddy two caddy three caddy four ran up in the tower at 15 with bud palmer who covered 15 and that's how the scoring began for television uh, for CBS in 1956. <laughs> I had a great gig at at CBS, as uh, Steve told you. Um, We were a very dysfunctional group. Uh, (laughs) I'll spare you a lot of stories. Uh, I had the greatest seat in the house. I covered 11 and 12 at Amen Corner. I saw three playoffs. I saw um, Faldo win twice against Floyd and Scott Hoke. And you all remember the the chip in from Larry Myers, 87 against Norman. If you listen to it, they played it a lot last weekend. As, as the ball goes in, when, when my eyes makes it, you'll hear this the, the announcer go, ah! I mean, I went from being a broadcaster to a fan. I just screamed. It was the improbable that happened. And luckily, after that, I just laid out and let it play. But uh, it was a great, great perch from which to uh, broadcast the event. And they always asked me, uh, what was my hardest and what was my easiest uh, event to broadcast? And I said, Masters was both hardest because you want to make sure your your words matched the pictures i took the position that all of you know what the holes at augusta look like they need very little description you know most if not all of the players i mean i would simply say faldo let's say was playing a second shot at 11 faldo from about 170 yards second shot i didn't say anything else it may have been 165 maybe 175 that's not important just lay out and that brings me to another point. The, the announcers today, I'm convinced, are paid by the word. <laughs> okay, I, I was not paid by the word. I always thought silence was a wonderful accompaniment to broadcast. If you can't enhance pictures, then lay out. But guys can't resist it. They just will not will not lay out. But uh, fast forward to to 1986, and you remember the year and the significance of the event uh pat and i had this huge six bedroom house and he says to me on monday he says look we got all this room you mind if i invite a few friends to come stay with us i said no because we're never there we're always at the golf course so he picked up the phone and he called his old sidekick in philadelphia tom brookshire aka brookie and brookie and billy cunningham rented this rv in philadelphia they started drinking before they left the city limits of philadelphia they drove down to dc and picked up sonny jurgensen and billy kilmer who had gotten an early start on drinking, and somehow they found their way to our lovely house with a semicircular driveway and their first and only pass into the driveway. They took out the mailbox, the, the, the brick wall with a nice sconce, and they fired the RV into the side of the house in the rose bushes where it stayed for five days. Okay. That night, we have our Calcutta. And the Calcutta was just among it's like a group like this, maybe a few more people, but what made it great was Musburger hated Summerall, and Summerall hated Musburger. So they tried to out- outbid themselves. And what should have been a ten thousand dollar Calcutta was about seventy or eighty, with eighty percent of the money from these two. So this particular remember now, Nicholas has not won the masters in eleven years. Okay? Bob Drum was our commissioner slash auctioneer, and he's decided the the order of, of auction and what the starting price might be. He said, Ah, I'm gonna shake it up this year, he goes. First person we're gonna we're gonna bid it was Jack Effing Nicholas. I'll take five hundred dollars for Jack Effing Nicholas. Nobody bid He's done nothing. He hadn't even played well on tour. Ah, come on, five hundred dollars for Jack Effing Nicholas. Nobody bid. So he looks down on the ground and Brookie is passed out. He goes, Brookie bids five hundred dollars for Jack Effing Nicholas. <laughs> well if you remember that year Ballesteros stood on the 15th fairway. All he has to do is find land with a four iron. Guess who had Ballesteros in in the Calcutta? (laughs) (laughs) So instead of me winning, Brookie won the Calcutta on a bet he never knew he made. He won (laughs) $26,000. True story. Uh, I'll end with one story that's near and dear to me, and uh, then we'll open it up for some questions. But uh, you know, we love this game for a reason. We make friendships and relationships that last a lifetime. But I've got a story that, that is so dear to me, and I tell it often because of, of the meaning and the significance to it. Uh, years ago on tour, when you played in the Western Open, you couldn't bring your own caddy, a tour caddy. You had to use these young kids who caddied at clubs around Chicago. And a young man named Kevin Most drew me when he was 15 years old and we hit it off. He was either like a little brother I wish I had or a third son I'd like to have had. He caddied for me for three years. Uh, I and others wrote letters to the Western Golf Association, the Evans Scholar Fund. He got an Evans Scholarship to Kansas, where he graduated with honors. He goes on to med school at Illinois where he graduates with, with higher honors. He practices medicine for a while, goes back to Notre Dame to get an MBA. He comes back now, and he is the chief medical officer for the Northwestern Hospitals. Uh, in all of the, of the Northwestern system in Chicago, but it gets better. Uh, and, and kind of a role reversal, I am his guest every year and the member guest at Chicago Golf Club. And I look forward to it every year. He's caddied for me in the par three at Augusta. He, he's like family. We, we take trips and vacations together, but it's all because of this game of golf. So it's, it's kind of neat. So, anyway, if you got any questions or any comments or anything, let me know. <laughs> I gloss over a bunch of stuff kind of quickly, but
2: uh, um, it's pretty. I've got I've got a question for you. Sure. So, all of the years that you covered the Masters, where are you sitting on the 11th and 12? Where do you where do you see the action from?
0: Well, they moved the uh, the announce tower from where I used to be. I used to be to the right of the tee on 12, and now that's a viewing stand. So it's now directly behind the 12th tee, and it's really hard to see the second shot. Now eleven, I could see it well where it was before. Mm-hmm. Now I think Navalo covers it, and you really can't see the second. He's got to work off
2: a monitor. All of your moments that you you called, you said you called some great playoffs. W- was there one that really sticks out in your mind that that was? Is that like a classic Steve Melnick moment or or?
0: Well, I had twelve, and you know anything can happen. You saw it yesterday. I mean, it was, and that really surprised me because yesterday the, the conditions were benign. It wasn't like you know the I always used to t- use the term the swirling and elusive winds of Avon Corner. Well, there that they were neither swirling nor elusive. Yesterday it was pretty calm, but see, it was always a guessing game on twelve. You've, you've played, you know, you never know. You hope you have the right club, but uh, it, it, I, I watched Weisskopf make a thirteen. There, you know, he kept hitting it fat <laughs> in <the laughs> Rice Creek. But uh, By the way, you know that on Wednesday, if you're out there, Rays Creek is a cover, color of chocolate milk, and guess what? The next day, it's blue. <laughs> they go upstream. They put all this dye in the Rays Creek, and it next day, for the next four days, it's all blue. <laughs> and I have had uh, occasions where it's, they've had an early spring at uh, Augusta. There's nothing behind the 12th green on Wednesday afternoon. And I come back on Thursday, and there's six thousand blooming plants behind the the green. That's true. Yeah, I was telling the guys at dinner uh, tonight. Uh, I spoke at a group in Augusta in January, and I want to go out and see the changes they made. Um, you know, Augusta National bought 6.8 acres from Augusta Country Club. Uh, it's a secret to no one. They paid 18 million dollars for 6.8 acres. And it's not really, as you might expect, to lengthen the 13th hole, although it could be an option. I think Fred likes it where it is. But it gives them the ability to have a loop road around the entire golf course for access for emergency vehicles, for turf vehicles, getting people in and out. And uh, with that $18 million, Augusta Country Club rebuilt two holes. They regrassed their golf course in Zoys and put the other $14 million in the capital reserve. So they did well. <laughs> But I got ahead of your, your question there a little bit. But uh, uh, yes.
2: Uh-huh. So being such a aficionado on, on Augusta National, what do you make of the changes that have occurred over the years?
0: Uh, you know, they plant a lot of trees on 17 and 11 in particular. Um, I, I'm not necessarily in favor of that. Uh, they made a huge change at uh, five this year. I went out and looked at it. I mean, five is a beast. But when we played – we were hitting three, four, five iron into four, into the fifth green. We'd bounce the ball in because you couldn't carry it there. And now the players are faced with the same length or same type of second shot that you – I don't know what –
2: Yeah, God you, forbid they have a five iron. I mean, geez, <laughs> not on a par five. They're not used to that,
0: right? Poultry had a hybrid in there. But it's, it's 495 or really 500 yards. I think it's an accommodation to the length of the players today, but the scores don't get any lower. You couldn't have had better conditions for four days. They were soft. You didn't have any wind, so you can argue that the course uh, held up pretty well. Steve, did you have a chance to work with uh, with Ben Wright? Ben Wright a good oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Selling right, but never in doubt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know him well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was with he worked with us that was part of that dysfunctional group that we worked together at (laughs) cbs uh and um i first met him he covered the british amateur for the financial times when i wanted Carnoustie. that was my first contact with ben yeah he's a piece of work yes anybody else yes based on our
2: our venue today (coughs) your most memorable moment with arnold
0: or uh, (coughs) oh shoot arnold was arnold was the best I, I hosted a charity dinner in Detroit. It was the 50th anniversary of his U.S. Amateur win. And uh, they'd given me this long list of Arnold wins. And I said, yeah. I had the pleasure of saying and introducing Arnold. I said, ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce the man who needs no introduction. Arnold. And it, it's perfect. I mean, Everybody knows Arnold. Arnold could say nothing better than anybody I ever saw. He was amazing. You know, because he loved people. I remember the last few years at Augusta, he was really frail, and he would always sit. If you've been to Augusta, there are these umbrellas there, and he, he always wanted to sit at a table near the people. And and person after person would speak to him. He would graciously stand up and have his picture taken. So I, w- my memories of Arnold are his relationship with the fans, with the people. And I remember one night at dinner, my, my colleague – uh, Peter Alice really summed it up best. He says, Jack Nicklaus will always be respected, but Arnold Palmer will always be loved. And that is true. I mean, I can't imagine the game without Arnold. You mentioned the hat here, signatures, sign it right. He took players to task. If they didn't act right, he pulled pull them aside. He said, listen, this is how you, you act. He had the most utmost respect for the game that came from his dad. But Arnold, I mean, I was there at Oakmont in '94 when he played his last U.S. Open. He's he crying coming up the, the fairway. I mean, that's how much he loved the game. He loved the game of golf, and he would be out here playing and practicing in, in his 80s. You know why? I don't know, but he enjoyed he Just enjoyed getting out. So I, I can't imagine the game of golf without Arnold Palmer. I really can't. In the back, yeah.
1: I guess I relate well being a screw up myself, but I'm really kind of fond of disparity and seen every episode of what he does. I think he's brilliant in what he does for the show. And got to see his live
0: show in Raleigh this year. Oh, good. I was if he had any great Faraday story because he seems to have a lot about all of you guys in the booth. So. <laughs> I'm telling you, the elevator doesn't go to the top floor. He, he's uh, <laughs> he, he's he's really clever. You know, McCord used to write down all these things and notes, and he'd, he'd be kind of canned. But Faraday, you just never know. He's totally unfiltered. I'm convinced there's an interstate highway from his brain to his mouth with no off ramps. <laughs> and, and he's really good. If he sat right here, he'd pull stuff out. And uh, he's just clever. And he's had a tough life, as you know, with dependency issues and stuff. So I really admire what he's done, but uh, he, he's he's pretty good. Yeah.
2: Question. Here. So I have a fond memory of my uncle coming back <laughs> from Oakmont in 1969. Oh and explaining explained to me about how this great guy handled the chipping at Oakmont from the Marines. And and you were the guy. And I wonder
1: if you remember anything about
0: that 69. Oh, sure. Um, There was one score under 70 the entire tournament and only two scores that that, that shot 70. I mean, that's how hard it was. I've never seen anything like that. I shot two over par and one by six. And in, there was an eight-year period when the U.S. Amateur was at stroke play. But you you chipped a lot because you, you couldn't hit all those greens. So, so I, I made the a few. With a five iron the, yeah. The, yeah. I, I learned from some, some locals kind of how to, how to handle it. But it's a neat spot. Very special. Yeah. I'll tell you what they did do uh, about five years ago. Every USGA championship that was held there, they made every winner an honorary member of Oakmont, which I thought was pretty classy. So, yeah, it's a classy, classy, place. But thank you. Yeah. Reference
1: Peter Alice. Obviously, this year at the Masters, when the rain delay, the tournament was moved up to the morning. And one of my great memories growing up was watching the Open Championship with you broadcasting early in the morning. You get up early and you watch it. Uh, do you have any good Peter Alice stories? Oh, to play because, uh, there's
0: a lady in front of me. I can't repeat any of them. <laughs> no, I will tell you this, uh, Peter. They, they broke all the rules for Peter. Peter took a bottle of wine with him every time he went to the booth and he said it was for his vocal cords. Okay? okay. For his vocal cords. And uh, at the end of the broadcast it'd be empty. Okay? <laughs> he never, ever, ever went out on the golf course. He never went to the practice tee. He never talked to the players. He had no notes. He would go to the broadcast booth with a pairing sheet and a monitor. And he was great. You know, he didn't try to give you any facts. He didn't tell you who won this or won that. Or th- That's not what Peter was. P- Peter painted pictures with words. He was wonderful. Uh, forgive me, he was full of sh- but he was wonderful. <laughs> he, he really was, and he's the most delightful guy you can imagine and uh but but that bottle of wine really helped his vocal cords you know, okay
2: <laughs> <laughs> when you watch the tournament for the first two days and then you just get to the last two days do you get a feeling of who's really playing well or are you, a mystery to you like it is to
0: uh you know who you would expect to play well for the most part you're talking about the masters now idiot to really, uh, regular tour events you never knew I mean, guys can get hot and do stuff. Majors were different. There was an elevated pressure, elevated emotions. Jack always told me that all he wanted to do was get on that leaderboard and let other people make mistakes. And Tiger did the same thing yesterday. It wasn't that he played necessarily the best golf, but he made less mistakes than everybody else. And he really played what I thought was a a Nicholas-like round. His tee shot at 12. Jack never fired at the flag stick to the right. He knew exactly how far it was. If he missed it short, he'd have that bunker as sort of a bailout. And he said, the worst case I'm going to make is four. Tiger did the same thing yesterday. But uh, it, the majors are different. You know, it's uh, particularly the, the Augusta. The, we've had a few, maybe a few surprises there, but for the most part, like that leaderboard uh, yesterday was as good as it gets. Absolutely as good as it gets. Are there any amateur golfers right now that you have your eye on? I think are- you know someone we should be on the lookout for uh, jennifer Cupcho. <laughs> um there's another girl at florida sierra brooks she was runner up the us amateur a couple of years ago went to wake forest initially and i, I really think she's gonna be strong. and the spanish girl who played who was second there i think she just made it i think she, I think she made herself a lot of money uh on saturday and that, that, that the, the girls acquitted themselves beautifully in terms of the men, uh, men's amateurs, the, Victor Hoblins really good. He won the am, the amateur uh, pebble, low amateur yesterday, and uh, really a nice young man. Uh, so, but I really think amateur golf's in great shape. I hate to see so many of these kids. All they want to do is turn pro. I spent a lot of time with our program at Florida. I was on the athletic board for ten years, and I talked to the kids. I said, "Look, you can enjoy the game of golf all your life. You can play it." as an amateur you don't necessarily have to turn pro to get full enjoyment at it but they all have this visions of grandeur and that's okay but so many of them is you know try it and come back and some get disillusioned some don't but uh i i encourage them to think about being an amateur and using golf as a platform for success in your business my favorite amateur event is really the mid-amateur because they are amateurs some are reinstated but they are amateurs they're true amateurs and uh it's it's an event that uh, I think you'd have to say would go men's amateur, women's amateur, mid am men's mid am So it's a neat neat spot.
2: Yeah. Look, look. I think I think we could talk here all night. <laughs> uh, I, you know. Thank you, Steve. Thank for, you. You for guys are all of your I'm in. Yeah,
0: you guys are terrific.
2: Thank you for taking part in our inaugural Silver Club. Uh, major championship here at Bay Hill and being on the Silver Club podcast. This is uh you got a twofer here. This Very is good. great.
0: Pleasure's man. Thank, 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 Thank you. Thank you. Good luck tomorrow. Thank you.